You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in him and righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We are doing something a little different this semester in RUF. Normally, we just take books of the Bible, and we kind of just teach through them and walk through them to see what the Bible actually is about. But this semester, we're doing something a little bit more topically. We are looking at the subject of relationships. And the way that we're structuring this semester is we're looking at your four fundamental relationships, which are your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, and your relationship with the world. And we spent two weeks talking about your relationship with God, and so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about your relationship with yourself. Next week, we're going to talk about more specifically how you relate to your emotions. What do I do with All this stuff I feel, is that good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? We'll talk about it next week. But today, I want to talk more generally of just how do you relate to you? How do you relate to yourself? Which I think is a really interesting question because if you think about it, your relationship with yourself is probably one of the most confusing and complicated relationships that you have. And I think here's one of the reasons why. On the one hand... We love ourselves. We are obsessed with us. We are all we think about. This is one of the reasons why I think personality quizzes and tests and personality uh, te- you know, typing systems are so popular. Like, what's your Myers-Briggs? You know, people are getting cultish this day about the Enneagram. And uh, <laughs> just so you know, I'm a three-wing four. Um, People are really, you know, everybody in this room, I would imagine, has taken the Harry Potter quiz to figure out which house you're in, and everybody's really upset that they're not in Gryffindor, if you didn't get in Gryffindor, unless you're in Enneagram 4, and then you're really glad you're not in Gryffindor, and you're excited to be in Slytherin. Only Enneagram people would know that. We love ourselves, my point. My point is we love ourselves, we're obsessed with ourselves, we love thinking about ourselves. This is why we get defensive to criticism. This is why we, 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 uh, when people critique us, 
We, uh, we've got to defend our honor. We've got to defend our positions. We love ourselves. And yet, on the other hand, if we're honest, we also hate ourselves. Some people are nodding. We hate ourselves. There was a study that was done at UVA recently where they had uh, test subjects, research people, uh, be in a room by themselves for 15 minutes. No access to phone, books, no other people, just you alone for 15 minutes. And you could choose to shock yourself and get out of the experiment early. And here's what the results were. One out of four women decided to shock themselves and end the experiment early because 15 minutes was too long. Two out of three men decided to shock themselves. (laughs) Not surprising. One guy apparently did it 190 times, which we should pray for him. (laughs) But here was the point. Here's what's so fascinating about this study. People would rather inflict pain on themselves than, ra- than to just sit with themselves. 15 minutes. I'd rather ha- inflict pain on me than to be with me. I also think about this. You say things to yourself that you would never say to anybody else. You say, you are such a failure. You are such an idiot. You are so fat. You are damaged goods. You, are, you will never amount to anything. We hate ourselves. And we love ourselves. So it's a really complicated relationship we have with us. So what do we do with us? Well, I want to look at three things tonight and uh, from this passage. And the three things I want to look at are this. Uh, the search for a self, number one. How do we get a self? The search for a self, the problem with the search, and then the secret to a true self. How do we get a self? The search for a self. What's the problem with our search? And then what's the secret? How do we, get a tr- how do we discover who we, or we truly are? So let's look at this passage and begin with uh, the search for a self. And one of the reasons why I love this passage so much is I think it gives you a really unique window into how the Apostle Paul, who wrote this passage, how he thinks about him. And this passage is interesting because he, has, he shows you how he has acquired this transformed understanding of himself. He used to think about himself in two different ways, and now he thinks about himself totally different. And I think the two different ways that he used to think about himself are fascinating because these are the two main ways that people figure out who they are. So I want to look at these two different ways one at a time. The first way of how you, how you get a self is you look outside yourself. You could say this is, this is the traditional approach to kind of identity formation. You look outside of yourself to your family, to your tribe, to your culture, and you let those people import their expectations and desires for you. You're, you, you, you are assigned a role. You are assigned a self. You look outside you, and they tell you who you are. Classic example of this from the movie The Lion King. You've got... Simba, who's a little lion cub, and his dad is the king, and he is next in line for the throne. And he is so excited about this, he just can't wait to be king. (laughs) And he sings a song about it, and he flaunts it, but his whole understanding of who he is is rooted in 
his family's and his culture's expectation of him. He looked outside of himself and they told him who he is. That's the traditional approach. And Paul says, this is how I used to understand myself. Let me show you from the passage. Look at verse 3. He says, we who glory in Christ Jesus, this is towards the end of verse 3, he say, we put no confidence in the flesh. It's a weird way of talking, but what he's basically saying is the way that I used to get confidence of how I understood myself, I, I no longer think in these terms. The way that I used to understand myself, the way that I used to feel special and feel like I was somebody, he says, I don't, I don't trust these approaches anymore. And he starts to lay out some of the ways that I used to think about himself. Jump down to verse 5. He starts, he starts laying out, essentially, his resume. His, his, uh, he kind of rolls out his, his credentials. And he says, this is how I used to think about myself. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a true blood Israelite through and through. I'm not a muggle. I'm not a mudblood. I am a true, like, real deal Israelite. In fact, he says uh, you can trace, he knows he can trace his whole family tree back to Abraham. He's saying, my lineage, my heritage is thoroughly Jewish. And so in this context, in this culture, he's saying, I came from the right family, I came from the right tribe, I spoke the right language, and that's how I understood myself. I looked outside of myself, and I saw my family, I saw my people, I saw my culture, that's how I understood myself. That's the traditional approach, number one. But there's a modern approach as well, and it's almost the exact opposite. The modern approach doesn't say, look outside yourself, it says, look inside yourself. Don't look to your family, don't look to your culture, don't look to your tribe. Detach yourself from those things and look inwardly and figure out who you are. Don't let anybody else tell you who you are. You look inwardly, you figure out who you are, and then you kind of move out into the world and expect affirmation from everybody else. It's the exact opposite. And the classic kind of movie example to illustrate this approach is The Greatest Showman. You remember the song, This Is Me? Classic song, a powerful song, amazing song. My children, I mean, they literally sang this song on repeat the entire summer. So we're, we're fans of this song. But here's the lines. You, you remember the line. Look out, because here I come. <laughs> and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Look out, because here I come. I debated whether I would sing. Never mind. Okay. So the modern approach, the modern approach says, don't care what anybody else says about you. This is you. This is me. I'm marching on to the beat that I drum. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what your expectations are of me. This is me, and I make no apologies for it. This is the modern approach, and we love this, and we sing this song, and we're like, yes! In the modern approach, this is why in our current culture, we have these phrases, and we have these slogans, and the phrases and the slogans go like this, follow your heart. That phrase is literally everywhere, but it's not follow your parents' hearts, follow your heart. Your heart's what matters. We have this phrase in our, in our current culture, you know, cultural moment, you do you. You do you. That's... The modern understanding of self is you are what you decide to be. And essentially, you could say you are, you are what you do. 
Who you are boils down to your desires, your decisions, your actions. And in fact, look at how Paul used to think about himself. Continue the rest of verse 5. He says, this is how I used to think about me too. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I used to understand myself by what I did. I followed the rules, I followed the laws, and I was blameless. That's how I understood myself. I was a good person. I did the right things. I didn't do the bad things. That's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be a good person, and I went out there, and I was that. I was blameless. So, to summarize, there's two ways to find a self. The traditional way says you look outside yourself. You are your duties. The modern way says you look inside yourself and you are your desires. You are your choices. So that's the, that's how, that's the search for a self. That's how we get a self. Now, what would be the problem with those two approaches? Well, let's look secondly at the problem with this search. Look back at Paul. Look at what he says. Verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is saying all of these ways that I used to understand myself, these ways that I thought really benefited me, gave me a sense of self. He says, I count them as loss now. These weren't, these didn't benefit me. It actually kind of put me in the red. Look at what he says. He keeps going. Verse 8. He says, I count all of this as rubbish. That sounds very British, but the, the, the Greek word there is actually the word feces. So the Bible just said poop. <laughs> but what he's saying, he says, okay, I, I, if you pile up my heritage, if you pile up my resume and my credentials, it's a big pile of crap. Now, why in the world would he say that? Why, is he, why, why would he think like this? What's the problem with these two approaches of understanding yourself? Well, I want to argue, and I think Paul would agree, that both ways of understanding yourself are crushing. Both of these ways to understand who you are, these are crushing. Let me explain. Let's, let's start with the traditional approach. Some of you understand yourself this way, and you know what I'm talking about. You know the pressure that you feel, the pressure to live up to your family name. This idea of like, this is who you are, now go act like it. The pressure to live up to the expectations of your high school, the pressure to live up to the expectations of your hometown. Some of you feel that pressure. In fact, some of you, when y'all got to UT, because of your background, there were certain majors that this was maybe an unwritten code. There were certain majors you were not allowed to pursue. Yes, you can pursue engineering. Yes, you can pursue business and nursing. You may not pursue philosophy. Some of you probably also had spiritual expectations and pressures put on you. Uh, When you get to college, you will go to church. You will go to RUF. And I will be calling you on Sunday to make sure you're doing what you should be doing. You have to be what somebody else is telling you that you are. That's the traditional approach, and it's crushing. I I got this. um, My wife, Catherine, gave me permission to tell this story about her. She went to a wealthy, all-girls, private high school in Memphis. 
And she graduated, and then she went to a private and prestigious uh, college in Virginia. And her parents and her family worked hard to give her those opportunities. And with all of these opportunities comes in, you know, this built-in expectation to not waste these opportunities and to not, uh, you know, that you've got to now be successful. So a lot of the people that she graduated college with went on to become, like, high-powered lawyers and CEOs. And she currently works part-time for a campus ministry where she asks other people for their salaries so that she can get paid basically minimum wage. And she's often has had this internal struggle because she loves what she does. She's great at what she does, and yet she's not doing what her culture told her you should be doing. This is, this is essentially the whole point of, of uh, the movie Coco as well, if you've seen Coco. <laughs> you remember the movie? Here's this family, and they make shoes. And every, they come from this long line of shoemakers. Everybody in the family makes shoes, and they don't listen to music. And now you have this kid that is in this family, and he doesn't want to make shoes. And he wants to make music. And he's trapped. And that is how you feel. If you come from the traditional approach to understanding who you are, it is trapping, it is crushing, it is restricting. So most of us have scrapped it and have gone to the modern approach. And I want to show you it is just as much, if not more, crushing and paralyzing and restricting. It sounds freeing. It sounds humble. It sounds like it's awesome because it's like you get to do whatever you want. But here's the problem. If you are what you do, if you are what you decide to be, now the entire weight of the world is on your shoulders for you to be what you think that you should be. So think through this. I have to be successful. I have to be pretty. I have to be in shape. I have to be athletic. I have to be funny. I have to perform. I have to whatever. Some of you understand yourself this way. You said, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to only care what I think about me. And you feel the pressure of I've got to, I've, I've got to keep being successful. I've got to keep performing. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep going. Because if I don't keep working and achieving and, and getting applause, then who am I? I mean, we laugh about this, but you can post something on Instagram and get 500 likes yesterday. And if you post something today and only get 200, you feel insecure about it. And I know you do. Do you see how fragile your sense of self is when it comes down to stuff like that? When, when you are what you do, the weight of the world is now on you. It's crushing. Listen to a couple examples. Uh, Madonna, you know Madonna. Maybe you don't. She's a generation or two behind y'all, but she's, you know, this musician. And here's what she said in this interview. She said, quote, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. This is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. 
I think that is so honest and it is so sad because she's saying, I only understand myself based off of what I do. And even when I make it big and I become a superstar and I am somebody, that feels great right now. But guess what? I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I got to do it all over again. I got to prove myself again tomorrow and the next day. And the struggle never, ever stops. Got to keep performing. Got to keep performing. Chris Everett, this famous uh, women's uh, tennis champion, she won 18 Grand Grand Slam titles. She did this interview in 1990. Here's what she said. Quote, I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. Listen to this line. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. I mean, that's insightful too. Here's my point. The modern way of of understanding yourself, the modern way of getting a self, it's a trap. It's crushing. It sounds freeing, and many of you live in this space, and our sense of self is so fragile, and and we're a mess. And I think one of the greatest ways that you can see the flaw of this way of understanding yourself is in the way that celebrities have responded to all the scandals. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. A number of years ago, Michael Richards, who played Kramer on the show uh, Seinfeld, this is like maybe seven, eight, nine, I don't know, however many years ago. And he's doing stand-up at this club. And uh, as he's doing stand-up in this little club, there's uh, some African-Americans in the audience start heckling him. And so he snaps and loses his mind, and he just unloads this horrific racial tirade against them, using racial slurs, using, talking about lynching, like horrible, horrible stuff. And somebody in the crowd was videoing it on their phone, And this video, you can watch it, it was posted on TMZ, and of course now his his career is annihilated because he's exposed, he's caught. So a couple of days later, he's on the David Letterman show, and he's broken up about it, and he's apologizing for it. And here's what he says. He says, you know, David, here's what's crazy about the whole thing is I'm not a racist. And you look at that from the outside, and you're like, "Uh, yes, you are. But what you're, you're seeing somebody struggle because they see something about themselves that doesn't fit with their understanding of themselves, and they don't know what to do about it. If you, live, if, if you understand yourself according to what you do, then you, will, you do not have the resources to be honest about things that you discover about yourself that make you incredibly uncomfortable. The same thing happens with all the, the sexual assault stuff, all the hashtag me too stuff. All these guys get caught, they get exposed, and they kind of give these half-baked apologies. And so many times in these apologies, they keep saying, after they've assaulted somebody, that's not who I am. And you look at that and you're like, that is most definitely who you are. Problem is, is you don't know how to make sense of that. You don't know how to be honest about something that, you, that of how you want to think about yourself because the modern understanding of self says, I cannot let you see what's bad about me. I've got to deny it. I've got to ignore it. I've got to hide it. And I've got to amplify all the good stuff about me. This is why all of us in this room 
feel like we have got to hide our loneliness. We've got to hide our anger. We've got to hide our sexual struggles. We've got to hide our addictions. We can't let people see that stuff. And we're going to promote instead how smart we are and how funny we are and how progressive we are and how cool we are. Don't you see how exhausting that is? Our whole life is just a branding act. We're just, it's just PR. We're just spinning the truth about who we really are. And it's exhausting. This is why Paul says these two approaches to understanding yourself, it's crap. It's crushing. Paul says, I have found something so much better. So what is it? What's the secret? What's the secret to understanding yourself in such a way that you don't get stuck in these ruts? Well, let's look. Rather than trying to, quote, find yourself, in verse 9 he says, I have been found in him, in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when he says, I have discovered who I truly am in Jesus? Well, he keeps going. Look at verse 9. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Okay, hit pause right there. Righteousness is a Bible word. What does it mean? It basically means a resume, uh, your credentials. He is saying, I no longer have to generate my own resume, my own credentials in order for God or for other people or even myself to validate me and approve of me. I don't have to have a righteousness of my own. And he keeps going. But that righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's saying, I have a righteousness in my possession now, and it's not mine. I didn't have to generate it, but it was given to me. Who gave me this credentials, this resume that validates me now, that approves me? Where did that come from? Well, the text just said it came from God. Now, what does that mean? Well, I feel like I use this illustration all the time. If you've been around, you've heard this a million times. Uh, In fact, if you were at Redeemer a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching at Redeemer, and I used this very illustration. So if you're sorry for the overkill if you've heard this a million times. But I don't know of any other way to illustrate what Paul's talking about here than this. This is the best I got. Imagine I played NBA basketball with LeBron. And we go out and we play this game one night, and um, because I'm me and I'm horrible, and so uh, I'm turning the ball over, people are passing me the ball, it's falling through my hands, it's going out of bounds, I'm tripping all over the place, I'm just getting owned in the paint, I'm throwing up bricks, it's just, I'm playing horribly. And LeBron, on the other hand, he goes out and he's like lights out, 45 points, triple-double, 20 rebounds, he's just crushing it, we win the game. After the game is over, they post the, you know, the post-game review on ESPN, and uh, you, you, you read the article, and the, the big headline is, Matt Howell, who is this basketball phenom? And it's like listing out how amazing I am, and it's like, Matt Howell, 45 points, 20 rebounds, zero fouls, you know, whatever, on and on and on and on. And then it's like, side article, LeBron, question mark, he sucks, where was he? And... <laughs> His article, zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, 40 turnovers, five fouls. And you're like, how do you explain this? What's going on? And you look closer at the picture on the front page, and we have been playing the whole game with each other's jerseys switched. So on my back, it said James, and on his back, it said Howell. 
And so when the game was over and the verdict came in, he gets all of the criticism and all of the blame for my performance. And I get all of the praise and all of the accolades for his performance. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus who was perfect, who perfectly loved God and perfectly loved his neighbor. He is wearing our jersey on the cross. And he gets all of the blame and all the criticism for our life. You know that voice inside of you that says, you are such a failure, you are such an idiot? We, we know we deserve condemnation. Jesus takes it for us. He gets the criticism and the blame for the way that we live our lives. And then what do we get? We get all the praise and all of the accolades for his life because we have switched places. You get a righteousness, a resume, credentials that aren't yours. You didn't generate them, but they're yours because they were given to you from God. You're in Christ. This means when God looks at you, he sees something that is precious. He sees something that he finds lovely because you are clothed in the honor and in the glory and in the majesty of Jesus. You are found in him. And what this means is the only person's opinion in the universe that matters when he thinks of you, he's overwhelmed with delight and overwhelmed with joy. Don't you see why this understanding of self is, is surpassingly better than any other way to understand yourself? Because this identity isn't crushing. It's not based on you. It's not based on your performance. You don't have to go through your life constantly wondering whether or not you're enough. You don't have to go through your life constantly wondering whether or not you live up because God's love for you is fixed. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. You have his righteousness, his validation, his approval. That's who you are. How do you get this? How could you come to understand yourself like this? Well, he says two different times in verse 9 that it's by faith. Faith is trusting what God says about you more than what you say about you. That's what faith is. Faith is letting God define you, not you define you. And the way that God defines you is this. You are a sinner saved by grace. You are loved. The secret to a true self is when you let the gospel be the only thing that defines you. That story, true for you. If, if that's how you thought about yourself, do you, do you know how free you would be? You, you would be humble, you would be free, you would be passionate, you would be motivated, you would have purpose, you would be free to fail, Fail a class, fail a relationship, fail your parents' expectations. It would suck, it would hurt, but it doesn't devastate you because your identity isn't rooted in it. You're free to admit what's true and uncomfortably true about yourself. You no longer have to deny and hide and get away from all the scary stuff because even your sin doesn't define you. You're free to be wrong because being right no longer defines you. You're free to have flaws because being pretty no longer defines you. In fact, you're even free to suffer. He talks about this later in verse 10. He talks about suffering. Comfort and safety no longer define you anymore. You are absolutely free. Don't you see how a, an understanding of yourself that is rooted in God's love for you and God's grace 
liberates you. This is the secret. To discover who you were made to be, your true self. It's being found in Christ. So, because I do care about you, I want to invite you to do verse 9. I want to invite you tonight to find yourself in him, to trust him, to, to have his words over you be the thing that defines you, not your family's words over you, not your words from over you, but his words over you. That's the secret. That's how you become free. That's how you become who you were actually created to be. That's the invitation for you tonight, to find yourself in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would be gracious enough to open up our eyes and help us to see that finding ourselves in Jesus is so much better, it's surpassingly better than any other way that we would hope to find ourselves. I pray that you would liberate us, that you would free us by helping us to know that we are loved, so much so that you would send your son to die for us. And I pray that that would transform us into becoming a different kind of person. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.